Welcome to Smarter, Richer, Braver, the podcast that's especially curated for a generation of young people who want to step up, stand out, and live life on their own terms. A generation who aim to do better, not just for themselves, but for humanity as a whole. A generation who aim to be smarter, richer, and braver, because that's exactly what the world today needs. host Marilyn Pinto, author and founder at KFI Global, and I'd like to warmly welcome all you Gen Zers. A special shout out to all our KFI Global students listening in. Please know that this podcast was made with you in mind, and I promise it's going to be worth your attention. This podcast is strictly for those 25 years and younger. If you are older than that, please listen at your own risk. Common side effects include regret and anger for not having heard this earlier in your life. I know that going off to college can be an incredibly stressful experience for you. It's a big change from the familiar structure of high school to a whole new environment filled with daunting academic challenges, crushing social pressures, and overwhelming personal responsibilities. Yes, you're legally an adult at 18. That's where the personal responsibility bit kicks in. But don't worry, I got your back. Today, we are privileged to have with us William Teresowitz, New York Times bestselling author of one of my all-time favorite books, Excellent Sheep. Bill taught English at Yale and Columbia before becoming a full-time writer. So join us on this episode as he talks about the relevance of college today, what to look for in a college, and how to get the best of a college education. I know that his insights and advice will change the way you view college, and more importantly, guide you to leading a more meaningful life, one that's smarter, richer, and braver. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. I'm deeply honored to have you here. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Bill, students have all these ideas in their head about what college is like and what going to college uh, is going to accomplish for them. What do you think are some common misconceptions that students have about college? The first thing to say is that kids load an enormous amount of expectations onto their college experience. They've been told that this is going to be the best four years of their lives. It actually might be kind of sad if it were true. Don't expect that this is going to be some kind of utopia or nirvana where you're happy all the time, because that's just going to set you up for disappointment as it would any kind of experience. On the other hand, there's this enormous pressure of practical expectation that we've put on college now. And certainly having a very clear path all the way through adulthood by the time you get out of school, you know exactly what you're going to do and who you're going to be. And that to me is precisely the wrong way to approach college. You are not going to be able to figure out your entire life while you're in college and you don't need to, and you shouldn't try. I've seen a lot of people get in trouble by trying to do that and would have borne further reflection or feeling so much pressure to do that, but not being able to do it and feeling like they failed. Recognize that this is an important stage in development, that this is a wonderful opportunity to start to learn things you've never had a chance to learn before, interact with the kinds of peers you've never encountered before, study things that are interesting to you, but don't put too much pressure on the experience. That's fascinating. What advice would you give to students who are questioning the value of college and considering alternative paths? How do you suggest they weigh the pros and cons and make an informed decision? I'm speaking from personal experience. 
if you've never thought about why you're doing it, then you're not setting yourself up to have the best kind of experience you can have. College is really the first time where you start to have options, if only about what to study, although actually usually about more than just what to study. But you asked about not going to college because that's become a big thing now. Yeah. First of all, I think it's a totally valid choice. But like any choice, you can do it for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons. Absolutely. And I think there's been a lot of nonsense and sometimes propaganda about how college is no longer necessary. First of all, we still have an economy, right or wrong, where not going to college puts you at a huge disadvantage in many occupational fields. There are skilled trades like you know, electrician, plumbing, carpentry that I think more, more young people should consider, especially young men. And there should be more trade schools that make that possible. And you can make a good living doing those things and not go to college. Beyond that, it's pretty hard to make a middle-class living if you don't go to college. So there are strong practical reasons to do it. Second, this whole idea that you can get an equivalent education to college by watching a lot of Khan Academy videos or whatever it is you're going to do is ridiculous. That is what college is for, learning how to learn. That's amazingly helpful. What do you think are the potential benefits and drawbacks of taking a gap year? Are there certain majors or fields of study where you think a gap year could be particularly beneficial? I think gap years are a great idea for just about anybody. I think the only drawbacks are that, you know, maybe for some families, it's a financial hardship. Beyond the financial question, I really don't see a downside at all. Because there's nothing that you can't do after a gap year that you could have done without a gap year. And all the benefits of doing a gap year, okay? First of all, just one year of maturation at that age is profoundly major and powerful. The main reason that a gap year is so valuable, you get that year of maturation, hopefully you're doing something relatively independent. I would say gap year programs are good, gap year not program maybe even better. Living a year where academic achievement isn't your constant obsession or even a priority. Yeah. And I saw this with students of mine at Yale, not even ones who did gap years, and they were so much more mature, so much better equipped to guide their own education. They often changed majors and so much better equipped to know what they wanted to do after college. That's extremely useful and really insightful because I know a lot of our listeners were actually considering this. It's common for students to feel uncertain or undecided and and not to mention quite stressed about which academic paths to choose. What advice would you give them for those who are undecided about their choice of major? Yeah. Again, I can only speak in the American context. If we're talking about the United States, the choice of major is not as restrictive as it is elsewhere. It's much less determining of what you're going to study in college or do afterwards. It's not like you're excluding all other possibilities. Yeah. But by the same token, I do think it matters. People will choose a major, and I think they'll choose it for the wrong reasons, and they'll often choose the wrong one for themselves. Why are they choosing the major they're choosing? Because their parents and their world and the you know word around the campfire among their peers is that you have to choose something practical. That's the name of a job. So generally that means the STEM field, engineering, maybe economics, but those are the fields now. A big misconception about how college matches onto the job market. 70% of adults with college degrees are working in fields that, that are not related. 
that are unrelated to their college major. The important thing is learning how to learn. If you are married to one field, you are, you're going to be out of luck. Yeah. Not only is the field going to change, it might not exist in 10 years. So you need to have the capacity to keep re-educating yourself, the flexibility to be adaptable, and all of the soft, the so-called soft skills that are valuable in any kind of workplace. That makes a lot of sense. And, and that leads us exactly into an even hotter topic, parental pressure. When it comes to choosing a major, how can they find the balance between honoring their own dreams and aspirations while also respecting their parents? Life is understood to have a certain pattern that is sanctioned by history and tradition, that is authorized by religious and even political authority. The parents have inherited this way of life. They have learned it from their parents. It is through the parents, principally, that all of that tradition is transferred to you. In many traditional societies, you know, parents make the decisions for you. This is what maybe a lot of kids are dealing with. Probably your parents are paying for you to go to college. And they have very specific expectations for you. And maybe you figured out that you want something else or that you're not even sure what you want, but you want to explore. My position is do what you want to do and your parents have to, you know, deal with it. And if that means that you're going to have a lot of fights with them, which it almost certainly will, then you need to have those fights. Growing up is about separating from your parents and coming to the point where you were able to say, mom, dad, this is my life. This is what I want. And look, it might be about your major now or your job five years from now, or it might be about the person you want to marry 10 years from now or the person you are. This podcast isn't meant to entertain you. It's meant to help you do life better by showing you how to think about and navigate important issues that aren't usually talked about to youngsters. But we believe that you need to hear this because it has the potential to change your life and the lives of other young people like you. So please share this episode with someone you care about. And if you haven't already, please hit the follow button. It helps us get these meaningful insights and messages in front of more youngsters. Youngsters are constantly being bombarded with messages about following their passions. How do they actually go about finding that passion? That's what they really want to know. I wouldn't use the word yeah. passion. I do prefer purpose, although that's also become a cliche, but at least purpose, True. I think, is a little more tangible for one yeah. thing. I, it's been one way that purpose has been defined is that it's where what you have to offer meets what the world needs. So that's nice. Ask yourself is what am I good at? And what do I like to do? That's associated with the word calling or vocation, right? The thing that calls you, yeah. you know, you hear us, you know, it's, it's bigger than you are. It's more powerful than you are. And the danger of that is that then you go around waiting to be struck by lightning, by that epiphany of your <laughs> calling. It doesn't just happen by waiting around. You need to do things. You need to do things in the world. You need to, or in college, you need to take classes. You need to do extracurriculars. You need to do stuff during the summer. And it's by actually doing things that you will begin to figure out what it is that you want to do. The question may not even end up being framed as what field do I want to go into, but Things like, 
Do I like to work outdoors? Do I hate having a boss? Do I need a job that has flexible hours? I mean, those can often be really important in terms of sort of vocational satisfaction. We know college is not just about getting good grades and and landing a job. What can students do to make the best of this experience? What resources or opportunities should they take advantage of to make uh, their college experience truly transformative? Study what you want to study. Study the thing that the thing or things that excites you, that makes you want to go to class, that makes you want to do the work. Don't try to do too much, you know. And that's you know the excellent sheep, the hoop jumper, the people who get to selective colleges. They got there by being busy all the time, all the and time. then the momentum just continues, and they're going to do extracurriculars and internships and clubs and whatever it is. You're not going to have time to do any of them in a satisfactory way. I mean, I don't think graduate schools care, you know, how many extracurriculars you've done. I mean, maybe they want to see some experience, but it's not like college. It's not like you're listing them like they're going to care. And not only just, you know, spend more time on fewer things, but I would strongly advocate spending ample time on no thing. What do you mean by that? No structured activities. This is the great illness of our time, people like us. Give themselves time to just... think. I was going to say breathe, but yes, breathe, think, (laughs) and very importantly, have relationships with people, have friendships that are just hanging out, not just for mental health, but I mean, for personal development, for spiritual health. This is what makes life worth living. Give yourself the chance to do that. Take the time to develop relationships with professors. Having one or two people who can give you the kind of guidance that your parents can. Being a mentor is not about telling students what to do. No. It's about asking questions. Yes. Helping students ask themselves the questions that they need to ask themselves. So what do you think are some of the characteristics that make a teacher a truly good one? A good teacher is a teacher who actually devotes time to their students. And in the university setting, that's rare because professors are not incentivized. They are only rewarded for their research. So that can mean open-ended conversations during office hours of the kind that I was just talking about. It also means spending time commenting on their work. I mean, that that sounds kind of dry, but I mean, a student writes a paper and you could just put a grade on it. The thing that the students will always say, they always say the same two things when they talk about the teachers that meant the most to them, which is that they were demanding, but they cared. Being rigorous is is one of the most important ways that a professor cares for their students. And it's one of the things that demands more from a professor, right? Research has shown that Gen Z students experience higher levels of stress compared to previous generations. Surveys indicate that approximately 75% of college students have experienced intense stress related to academic performance. Uh, It's academic pressure and it's social media pressure. I mean, the thing that didn't exist 10 years ago, constant connectivity, constantly comparing yourself to your peers, constantly seeking your peers' approval, constantly panicking that you're not getting it. And then, like you say, the academic pressure. We need to take this very seriously as a society. It's this crazy kind of status that people think their entire self-worth rests on. If you choose fulfillment, meaning, purpose, if you prioritize those things as opposed to prioritizing wealth and status, you are going to have to give probably some degree of wealth and status. Yes. Okay? It's a trade-off. Just realize that if you do the other thing, it's also a trade-off. You cannot have it all. And if you 
look at adults who followed the course of constantly maximizing yeah. wealth and status, really unhappy people. That is true. And I guess that brings us to the real issue, the fear of failure. Gen Z is often characterized as perfectionistic, and this mindset definitely exacerbates their fear of failure. When reading your book, I came across this sentence, never to have failed is a sign not of merit, but of fragility. Can you, for the sake of our young audience, go deeper into what you meant by that sentence? I think a big problem that I see among students is that they're not willing to try anything that they don't already know that they're very good at. There are lots of situations in which you want to do something that you're not already good at because actually failing, at least if it's a small scale failure, is something that the kinds of students we're talking about are very good to, very equipped to deal with. The really difficult situation to deal with is a situation where there is no success or failure. There are no easy metrics, a risk you didn't take. Or a risk where it's not even clear, it's not going to be clear for a long time whether you succeed or fail. You, it's yeah. just the kind of situation where you are not going to get that constant feedback from a teacher or some other adult, right? Exactly. And it looks like Gen Z is facing some real challenges when it comes to entering the professional world. What do you think about the readiness of Gen Z graduates? And do they have what it takes to thrive in this competitive environment? And, and more importantly, what do you suggest they do to increase their job readiness? You know, Gen Z is many millions of people and many, you know, every individual is different. If Gen Z is relatively unequipped for the job market, it has to do with a lot of the things we've been talking about. We give these kids overprotected, highly structured childhoods and adolescences. And then yeah. we expect them to be able to go to a, a, a work environment where and deal with I mean, ambiguity. What is an, what, and what does an employer want from their employees? I mean, I think for a job of any kind of responsibility or even just a little bit of responsibility, what they want is an employee who does not need constant direction and supervision. They want someone who can figure stuff out for themselves doesn't need constant feedback and reassurance. So one of the things I wanted to know is what was the biggest regret you have about your college years? I should say that my dad was a, a professor. So I always knew, even before I was born, I was destined to go to the university that he taught at, to Columbia. So I never had to think about where I was going to go. I never had to think about why I was going to go and what I wanted to study. And I did grow up very risk-averse and very afraid of too, having too many possibilities. Freshman year, I was looking in the course catalog and I saw a major that combined biology and psychology, which were the two things that I was most interested in at the time. And that's what I decided to major in. And this was one of the worst mistakes I've ever made. By the time I was halfway through college, I realized this was the wrong thing for me to study. Wow. I was interested in those fields, but I wasn't interested enough. And I was actually much more interested in books and I wish I had studied English literature. But it was really too late by that point. I mean, I had taken so many courses, it was kind of a double major, and Columbia has all these core requirements to boot. I was not going to be an English major and graduating four years. It didn't even, I mean, I didn't even occur to me to, to try because it just, I didn't even know five years would have been enough at that point. This was a terrible, terrible regret. I was really unhappy about what I was studying. I had this terrible sense of loss. Like I had really blown my one opportunity. And it was only several years out of college. As I said, you know, the lightning bolt hit me. And what I realized was I have to try to do this. I have to try to study English lit. I managed to get into a doctoral program, although I was rejected for most of them because I hadn't been an English major. I didn't yeah. have the background. 
This is one of the big passions that drives me to write and speak about this because I really did make a big mistake and I want to try to help students avoid that kind of mistake. Thank you for sharing that. As the New York Times bestselling author, your words have inspired and captivated millions of readers around the world. If you could choose one emotion or experience that you hope your writing evokes in readers, what would that be? And why is that significant to you? It would be a sense of liberation. What I want students to feel, I want you to feel like a weight is being lifted off your chest. Like the world is much fuller of possibilities than you've been led to believe. You don't have to do the three things that your parents said you're allowed to choose from or that your peers are doing. You feel like you're in a cage, but all you need to do to step outside is to step outside. That's all. The door is open. Just push it open. Can we do a rapid fire round? Sure. If you had a magic wand, what skill would you bestow on the younger generation today? You know, resilience, obviously. Yeah. All of these questions have come from the students. What's the one thing you wish uh, your students knew about you? Like, no, we, we were just like you. What's the one quality or skill you've seen is most crucial to success in higher education? To come back to what we said before, it's like actually caring about what you're studying. There's no substitute for that. You know, when I see students like working crazy hours and being miserable, it's not the hours that are making them miserable. If you care about it, you can do it all day and you're happy. You're only happy when you're doing it. If you really care about it, you're an artist in your studio. That's the only place you want to be because you really want to do it. What's the one thing you wish you could change about the education system? This is a tough one because I know you want to change a lot. I would make education at all levels free of charge. Wow. With the costs borne born by the taxpayer, preferably by the wealthy taxpayer. <laughs> yes, that's what I would do. I love that. That really is a great answer. Okay, before we let you go, do you have a message for these kids? I want them to trust themselves more. You know, they have powers and capacities that they haven't even begun to imagine. I'm sure all of them do. And instead of a a sense of being beset in crisis, and again, just look at the difference between a 16-year-old and an accomplished 50-year-old. Like, where did that come from? When they were 16, they also were just a confused teenager. But it was all in them. It was all in them. So just trust yourself. Yeah. That's, that's a lovely message to end on. Bill, your insights have been incredibly enlightening, and I'm, I'm really so grateful for you to give us your time. Thank you for the work that you do in this world, and I know our listeners have benefited so much from this conversation. We do hope to welcome you back on the podcast someday. <laughs> okay. Okay. It would be my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I want to help you use what you learned here. And the best way to do that is to get a podcast buddy. That's someone who also listens to this podcast. Then talk to your podcast buddy about the one takeaway from this episode that resonated with you the most. That's it. That's all you have to do. Remember that much of what is talked about on this podcast is stuff that's not typically talked about to young people. And it should be. It's stuff that you need to know so that you can lead a life that's, you guessed it, smarter, richer, and braver. This is your host, Marilyn Pinto, signing off until next time.
If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to broach in our upcoming episodes, please email us at smarterricherbraver at gmail.com. And if you'd like to sign up for one of our award-winning programs, go to kfi.global and check out our upcoming schedule.